Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. I'm Stacy Gardner from Houston Forensic Science Center. Y'all enjoy. And while you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hello, Glenn. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you too, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, we're recording this uh, you know, just before all the New Year's festivities start happening. Heck, Count it out right. New Year's should, you know, click over to twelve o'clock in like New Zealand in just a couple hours from now. That's true. <laughs> so um anyway, you're all listening to this uh, in twenty twenty. So welcome to twenty twenty. I expect fully to wake up uh Wednesday morning uh and see the flying cars go by because I can't imagine twenty twenty without some flying cars. Uh, you? <laughs> no, I I imagine that, and we'll be living on our moon base pretty soon, if if I recall from what movies in 1980 told me. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Um, Although, you know what movies in 1980 did not predict? <laughs> that we would overuse the hell out of 2020 vision in the year 2020. I am already so sick of every <laughs> reference to 2020 vision for the year 2020. It, it's already overdone, and we're not even in 2020 yet. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing some conferences that have 2020 vision as the theme. Every conference. No, no, I've seen a couple that didn't do it, right? Which then really? surprised me. I'm like, well, why didn't they do that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, well, first off, uh, I want to remind um, all our listeners out there about the Double Loop Podcast Store. Uh, you can just go to doubleooppodcast.com, and there's links there that I'll click over to Zazzle, where the store is hosted. Uh, you can order some fingerprint shirts, mugs. There was some stuff that was out of stock for the holidays, but everything should be coming back in here soon. Hey, by uh, the way, uh, yes. one of our guests did that. One of our recent guests, uh, Brendan, yes. he went over and got himself a gyro t-shirt. Really? That's he fantastic. Did. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I'm glad to see uh, traffic through there and, and hope that um, uh, people like some of those designs and we can c- continue to put out some more uh, so that listeners can help support the show with you know stuff that's fun and that they like as well. So speaking of that, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a little contest. Um, uh, I put together a, uh, a fingerprint word poster. You have, damn, I forgot again, Glenn, what's it called again? A Rebus, R-E-B-U-S, a Rebus. Rebus. So Rebus puzzles are like the the ones with the words where there's like, you know, if a word is on top of a thing, then it's, you know, word over. Um, so if you have head and then heels is underneath and it's head over heels, right? So it's that kind of, you know, visual word kind of puzzle. So I uh, did something like that with uh, whirl, but where the common expression is world like all around the world which made it all around the world and put the double loop world from our podcast logo on a bunch of stuff anyway put that out on twitter uh someone came in and solved all of them really quick and won a t-shirt so uh congratulations to emily for uh for that win oh cool uh do you like all those you get yeah. a kick out of those yeah, I, there was one that I didn't get, uh, and it was the one with the coffee cup. Uh, that one, uh, someone else gave it to me, but I I didn't get it. Got it. And, I, and you know, there was some. I think someone else was like world's best cup of coffee, and I'm like, oh, I, I was going for way simpler, just world cup. Uh, so, 
Uh, anyway, um, hopefully that's a, that's a fun little thing that someone will like, uh, some listener out there will like either as a poster or a t-shirt. Um, also, uh, Patreon, uh, we've got a couple of new subscribers, uh, Robin and Gwyneth. Thank you guys both very much for, for joining that group. That's uh, helping support the show that way. Uh, Robin even, uh, sent in an email, uh, talking about our last episode. We, uh, we talked about, or the one before. Anyway, when we talked about the uh, the process map uh, from the Friction Ridge uh, group from uh, OSAC, and uh, with the suggestion of uh, you know getting all those little pieces of the whole process map printed out, laid out on the table as a big beginning game board for a massive Friction Ridge fingerprint board game. Drinking game. She meant drinking. Game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it actually works pretty well as a. Um, as a friction ridge version of shoots and ladders or s- <laughs> snakes and ladders for the international uh, listener out there. Sure. sure, uh, sure. <laughs> but I mean, no, yeah, I, it just... will, it will lead you to drinking. So eventually, <laughs> so I would go with the drinking game. Uh, that, uh, that could definitely be fun. And, um, if someone shows up at the next conference, uh, with a printed out board, uh, and, uh, some basic rules on how to play shoots and ladders on the friction ridge process map, count me in. So. <laughs> yeah, and first round of shots on me. <laughs> Sounds good. So, Glenn, uh, what about you? What have you been up to? I know you've been traveling. Tell us about those travels. Yeah, so I was in Denmark uh, just about a week or so ago, and I have to say it was great. I mean, I love going over to Europe. I mean, I, I just I enjoy European culture, and right? it, it was, as usual, I had a good time. But it. It, it was a fairly quiet week because the lab's uh, fairly remote from the city, so there wasn't a ton to do around there. But it, it was all made up for on the last day where I had a chance to participate in a – now, we would call it a Christmas party, but they call okay. it a, Yule, a Yule fest. So there, you know, Christmas is Yule, the Yule time. Right. And, you know, this is – if anybody is familiar with – the Scandinavian cultures and Northern Europe, and you know, you've got Sinterklaas in Holland, which is like their New Year's, which come at Christmas. It's it's a Christmas festivity, but it comes. Uh, I think I think it's like two or three weeks before December twenty fifth. So I mean, all of these countries have huge festivals and huge parties in fact even that night you know one of the guys said look if you're going to get back to the hotel we need to arrange you know a <laughs> ride for you and i said well I'll, I'll just take a take a taxi and he's like dude you'll be <laughs> you waiting <laughs> two hours for a taxi because everyone's having their party tonight right there won't be any taxis everyone else will be taking taxis and and they they were true to their word. Somewhere around two o'clock, the entire building. Now we're I'm still teaching class, but the place has just turned into a just a ghost town on this Friday afternoon. There's nobody. Everything had cleared out. It's a big government building, and. Uh, they had had a, a big feast during the day, so they had already feasted. And then at this point, around three or four o'clock, they were starting their festivities. And I had a chance to, you know, partake in this a little bit. And it was I was not expecting what I ended up seeing. And it ended up being. I, I wish I could have taken more photos, but there was plenty of. Yeah, we probably shouldn't take photos of this. <laughs> okay. But, 
you know the movies in the 80s that show these wild office parties and you hear legends about the wild office parties back in the you know 60s 70s yeah with the the photocopier machine and everything yeah well they still exist in europe apparently (laughs) (laughs) i well i mean because basically at about five o'clock the entire building this was a huge building of all these different government divisions just turned into like a 13 room nightclub and every single room and department had their own theme going on and different games all involving alcohol, all involving crazy shots or games or very, you know, <laughs> very unexpected things in a government building. And it was just just normal. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to describe a, a, a few things that were just fantastic. Every section did their own, like, little game and their little theme. Like, one division did, like, an airline's theme, so they're all dressed in steward and stewardess outfits and they had drink carts going around offering drinks and tickets and all kinds of stuff coming off of that uh the like the coast guard division had a mariner theme going on so they're dressed up in different you know like sailor uniforms and ladies and mermaid outfits and all kinds of just great drinks and shots and things one of the rooms had like like their fisheries and wildlife room had uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they had uh, like a bow and arrow uh, – what would you call it? Um, like suction cup, like a suction cup yeah, arrow, yeah. bow and arrow, yep, yeah, of different endangered species that you could shoot on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> the Like the, the drug enforcement unit, they would give you little bags of powders and pills when you walk in and you had to throw the little baggies uh, through holes that were big anuses uh, because, of course, people stuff drugs in... in. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so they had these giant buttholes that you'd have to throw your drugs into from across the room and, quote-unquote, win a prize, which, of course, was a shot. Oh, hole in one. From, right. from a lovely Dan- Danish woman. It was, it was amazing. I mean, it was just... and. You know, one of the guys just said it best. He said, look, everyone gets kind of crazy. They let their hair down. Yeah, things get a little out of hand, but everything's back to normal on Monday. We're all friends. We just we just need a day to unwind. And and it was great because nobody cared about PC this or who's going to be offended by that. It was just, ah, this is how it can be when everyone's not crazy about the government and they were just clearly having fun and it was good fun it it was it was really enjoyable i I, you know just going into every different room and the different themes and games and talking to people and just being a part of that was a wonderful experience i even joined a gang in the gang task task force <laughs> they they make you join a gang i mean you could be the jets you could be a shark you could be right. the cobra kai you could be whatever but you have to join a gang when you go into the gang task force it was cool uh, man it was, it was a lot of fun that's that, that'd be a one hell of a three-way battle the jets the sharks and the cobra kai is all going at, <laughs> at it sweet the leg dude sweet the leg <laughs> yeah it, it was great and it just props to uh, my my danish friends and all the other scandinavians we had norwegians we had swedes we had um, people from finland with people from you know all over uh, northern europe and the baltics come, you know, come to the class and it was it was so much fun and they're just really great people so props for their hospitality that's fantastic and uh and it sounds like just another one of those um you know once in a lifetime kind of opportunities that that 
fingerprints is kind of <laughs> taking you to. Yeah, uh, you know, you're you're absolutely right. I never would have known that this even existed. Never would have experienced this. I've again just heard how fanatical Northern European Scandinavians are around Christmas time and celebrating the Yule time. Right. And man, it surpassed all expectations. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. Uh, yeah. That's great to hear. Um, you uh, holidays? Oh yeah, uh, my my um, uh, sister came in from Ohio, so that's she's the only one that's that's out of state. So you know we're all together and and you know standard busy busy Christmas. Uh, you know it it's it's gotten to the point where instead of trying to rush in and go to like five places on on Christmas, it's starting to spread out. So Christmas uh-huh. lasts three days for us. But uh, no, I you know I got some new board games. I got a big, nice new Lego set. Uh, I had a pretty good Christmas. Yeah, cool, dude. So um, I think we're ready to move into the topic for this week. Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right, so we're going to be talking about um, OSAC, uh, the Friction Ridge Subcommittee uh, there, uh, the uh, Friction Ridge Group for the ASB. Uh, kind of where things stand there and some of the things that have been happening and and also trying to uh, provide a, um, reminders or the basic description of, of how this is all supposed to work. And, uh, you know, like I said, where kind of things stand. So kind of the, the desire to bring up this topic comes from uh, a few weeks ago, there was a meeting from the Fiction Ridge Group with ASB where they were discussing you know, moving forward with the documents that the OSAC Friction Ridge Subcommittee had sent over to you know get approved as standards. And things cycled back through, got sent back to committee with nothing moving forward. So um, I think we're at this point, we'll kind of take a big giant step back from <laughs> you know, what kind of started this conversation and walk through exactly what all these groups mean and how they all fit together. Yeah, and and just to add to that, we want this to be informational because I know I have been learning this myself and struggling to understand this. I've I've talked to people like you and other people carry and other members of OSAC, you know, for for years now as they've been developing these documents that are meant to become standards and of course frustrated like everyone else in the community where are these standards why what is happening and in fact just to give a quick fine point on this i i once uh, gave a presentation not too long ago and was talking about these standards and somebody even asked in the class well why haven't any of these standards been approved yet they're not standards yet right and i said and i said well look it just to be clear it's not osac's fault OSAC has been doing all this work. They've been generating all these documents. So you have to realize they've been doing this work. It just, they just haven't been approved yet. And one of the ASB members was in the audience and came up afterwards and said, okay, well, if it's not OSAC's fault, whose is it? And I <laughs> sort of bluntly went, well, uh, the documents have been going to ASB and they're not approving them. And then I got a little bit of an earful from the ASB member saying, well, the documents aren't aren't appropriate yet. We're not going to sign off on something just because OSAC has generated this. And so I found myself in this position of, oh, that's right. I have to realize that you know, in this audience and even people listening, there are probably OSAC members and there are probably ASB members. So we want to not necessarily 
I mean, we, you and I have opinions here, and I'm sure we'll share those. But this is really meant to be for the listener who's not on ASB and not on OSAC and wondering where are our documents, where are our standards, what is going on. And so we want this to be informational. We want this to try to you know, put a light on this so that at least we understand what is happening. And you know, we'll go from there. So I'm kind of glad that we we didn't have a chance just with holidays and schedules to to do this recording right after that that meeting took place because that that week after so I didn't hear I didn't wasn't able to sit in with this is my schedule for the ASB meeting but um, heard about it later on and then reached out to a few people that were uh, in attendance over the phone to kind of get some more details but I was livid afterwards so i'm i'm i'll get to you know my more of emotional response towards the end but let's let's lay some some background stuff uh here first yep okay so osac if you guys have been regular listeners to the show you know uh we've been talking about this for years now um you know i was a member of the friction ridge subcommittee from when it started and uh, i'm still an affiliate member now uh and we we did interview with uh, mark stolero you know, this has been a you know around for for a while here in in our conversations. So uh, OSAC is run and sits underneath NIST and uh, has different committees and subcommittees for different fields in forensic science that are meant to develop and write standards, best practices, you know, and other documents for uh, the forensic fields. Right, and and to be clear, NIST doesn't fund it; they manage it. Correct. The, the the funding comes from basically money, you know, the DOJ and other agencies would get for these kinds of things. Money comes to them, but NIST is managing it. it I mean, let's in in those terms, and they have NIST members assigned to the different subcommittees to give expert advice. And there's about twenty five different disciplines uh, represented underneath. Um, OSAC in various subcommittees. Uh, OSAC, right. again, for brand new listener, the Organization of Scientific Area Committees uh, for Forensic Science. Right. So, can I, can I jump in with NIST now? Yeah, okay, NIST, okay. Okay. So, I did a little, little bit of background research on NIST, and I'm certainly no expert, and I'm probably going to say something that somebody from NIST or somebody who has more knowledge will go, Glenn, that's not correct. And please, if that's the case, email me and I will correct this. This is just what, after probably two hours of reading documents and a little bit of research, this is what I have come to realize. So NIST has this history of managing groups and bringing together federal entities and groups to develop standards, but they don't develop standards themselves. They basically guide the process and they give helpful suggestions on how to develop standards, but they themselves don't develop standards. And the most important thing is they don't approve them. They have no capability of making any document into an actual standard. They can they can guide, manage, and assist in every way possible, but they can't actually make something a standard. And I had heard once that it's uh, some sort of legislative thing or some by statute or whatever, some law, 
they are not allowed to make standards. I don't think that's the case. I, I, someone who told me that, I don't know that that's exactly right because there are ANSI NIST standards and there are standards. They have a calibration standards and other things that they can that they can do. But when it comes to industry wide stuff like in like an industry like forensic science they don't create those kinds of standards and they're not they don't have any authority to create an actual standard were you about to jump in there so uh, a little bit in in because you mentioned ANSI like ANSI NIST and so I think it's it's important to kind of throw in ANSI here as well ANSI is the American National Standards Institute right and um, ANSI oversees the development of Voluntary consensus standards. Yeah, that, and that's the key word, voluntary consensus standards. Right. So, But um, ANSI doesn't do any of the standards development stuff. We're going to get into standards development and what that process looks like. Um, but they, they certify groups that are standards developers. Another kind of layer that goes uh, to, into this as well. Right. Okay. When it comes to these consen- these voluntary consensus standards, they can oversee it, but they can't they can't make them themselves as separate right. entities, and they can't they have no mechanism to approve them. And and some of that has to do with what I what I saw was because it looks like they're kind of somehow funded through the executive branch, and they can't get involved, especially when it comes to international trade laws and things. They can't be seen as having any kind of yeah, for example, they they can't say that plastic coming out of China is forbidden in the U.S., but they can say that you know plastic in toys that has a lead level above one part per million is forbidden, or that kind of you know they can they can help get involved in standards like that. They can't what because they're in a delicate position with international trade, and they could affect policy and other things. That's why they can't generate these standards without without political leanings. Right. I'm sure there's there's all sorts of of yes. uh, history going back like a hundred years on uh, on all these kinds of rules. Right. So when OSAC was first announced and started getting you know being first put together, this is back in like. 2014 there was you know initial talks about how this will is all going to play out uh, because to be a standard uh, more than what swigfast was because swigfast didn't quite meet the definition of a standard from this very technical ANSI NIST definition you needed to go through a standards development process with a standards development organization and in some of the initial talks, there was talks of, okay, how who's going to be the standards development organization? The standards development organization has to do things like put things out for comments, adjudicate comments, get consensus from uh, the stakeholders, stuff like this. And there was some initial talk of, well, okay, some groups may choose to go with ASTM, uh, which uh, listeners may be familiar with just that, the, that acronym. They do standards development for a wide variety of things. Um, And some forensic disciplines had already been doing stuff with them for a number of years. Right. Question documents, for example. But there was also problems with using ASTM. This is also going back like with question documents. They had issues. (laughs) Right. One of the biggest issues in dealing with a standards development organization is say you write up, say like, OSEC, and remember this from the first meeting, say OSEC writes up a standard, 
gives it to ASTM. ASTM puts it out for comment, adjudicates all those comments, publishes it, copyright by ASTM. They now own it and sell it. Right. Oh, and and oh, let me give one other example of a problem that they experienced. I had I had this firsthand because I had a really good friend who's passed away now, Karen Runyon, who was on the ASTM or she was a part of the question document ASTM right. group. And they w- she was also in SwigDoc. They would generate all of these documents. They would go to ASTM. They put them out for comment. And the people that were commenting were often graphologists. For the listener who doesn't know, you know, a, a question document examiner, a forensic document examiner does a forensic analysis, uh, comparing handwriting, looking at individual class characteristics, etc. Whereas a graphologist attempts to make assessments about the maybe the sex of the per, the writer or personality, personality traits of the choice. writer and, the, like and these reading. sorts of things. Well, I mean, the, the graphologists think that there's a real science to it in the same way that, you know, someone who is a polygraph uh, technician thinks that there is a real science. Or, or like it. someone who's a palm reader thinks it's a science. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. I would, cross, I would put graphologists and palm yes. readers in very much the same box. Fair uh, enough. Bullshit. But you have graphologists that are commenting on a forensic exactly. document, and the ASTM handwriting group has to deal with those comments. And I think it would be, be very members. similar if all of a sudden all the handwriting – sorry, all the uh, the palm readers in the country started like you know put, get, putting in comments to how we should compare fingerprints. Yes. And we're, we'd be very frustrated because we just don't want to yes. deal with all their bullshit. Yes. So I mean you you have to you have to address those comments and they may even have a voting voice. And that's the scary part of it is if they're as if they are a part of that group, that standard making group that who's going to vote and they have a vote, then they are part of that process and you have to either appease them or outnumber them. And I think we're setting some things up for what we're going to get to a little bit later. Right. But that was my direct experience with with Karen, and she would come back from those meetings so frustrated and so angry. Having and she talked about having to spend twelve hours in a hotel room, tr- just trying to work these things out so they could get a simple standard through, but it would get hung up in various ways with sometimes fairly nonsensical arguments. So this is where things were kind of at at the beginning, but very shortly after that, kind of right around or right after that very first meeting that OSAC had in Norman, Oklahoma, this is now uh, January of 2015, it was revealed that ASB was going to be formed. Now, ASB is, um, is from the AAFS, the American Association of Forensic Scientists, uh, the the other largest um, professional organization of forensic scientists in the U.S., the, them and IAI are kind of the two big ones, right. uh, them handling much more of the DNA. Um, the real sciences. The, <laughs> drug chemistry, <laughs> toxicology, that side of things, while IAI is more you know latent crime scene, that kinds of things. Also, when it comes out, they just got a grant to form a standards development organization because being a standards developing development organization costs money, and usually it's funded by selling the standard that you right. get approved. 
So if the idea is, well, we need these available for crime labs or other interested parties, lawyers uh, on both sides, you know, to have available judges, etc. Then we want that available, but uh, we need some mechanism to provide it to them for hopefully free. So this seemed like, okay, well, then this will be the standards development organization. And right away, I, I had a, this worry that, okay, let me understand this right, because it was kind of, this is how it was explained, and this is you know, how it came to be. Uh, OSAC writes out the standard or the best practice, whatever document that they develop. Right. Uh, sends that through all the different committees, you know, up the chain in OSAC, gets all the edits done. Um, and then once it's all approved from within OSAC, passes that over to ASB, who then uh, reviews it with the group that's on that committee, uh, mm -hmm. gets uh, puts out for public comment, adjudicates those public comments, does any edits that they want and then publishes it as a standard. Now, Correct. after it's published as a standard, then OSAC can take a look at that and vote to either accept it to put on the OSAC registry or not. Right. So I'm like, okay, this could work out under the right circumstances. If you don't have any graphologists on ASB. Or this could go really badly with a lot of work being put in by OSAC to just be thrown away, ignored, the standard rewritten at ASB, published as a standard, I'm using air quotes things here, and then uh, OSAC saying, nope, we don't like that at all. And now there is a draft standard from OSAC and a published standard from ASB. They're different, and now we are maybe worse off than we were before the whole thing had been written in the first place. Yeah. And can I break down a couple of really important points that you had in there? Absolutely. All right. So one of the things you, you highlighted very succinctly is that ultimately when these go to ASB, they're the ones that actually generate the standards. In fact, they have the ability to write the, like you said, the OSAC standard can come over and they can look at it and they could take it and they could write their, their own standard using the OSAC standard as a guideline. Effectively, it is ASB that writes the standards. Now, they have the option to adopt what OSAC has given them. They have the option to take that and adopt it and add their own stuff to it or delete stuff or in some way create an actual document or start all over from new and generate their own – they can generate their own standards. But the way the process, as you pointed out, is set up, OSAC does all the work including multiple levels. It's not just, for example, the fingerprint examiners involved. I mean – and you really do have a lot of stakeholders in that group. You've got people like Simon Cole. You've got some academics who in the profession at different levels of federal, local, private, all kinds of friction ridge examiners involved at every level of the job. But then beyond that, it goes to the legal committee. It goes to the human factors committee. It goes to the quality assurance committee. It goes to all these other groups, the, the statisticians. You have all these different stakeholders that get involved, finalize this document, get everything ready. It gets approved through multiple levels of 
this multi-mix of different people and experts in all these different domains and then goes to ASB where they can review it and go, eh, we don't like this. And they weren't involved necessarily. There might be a few members, but the majority of members probably were not involved in the creation discussion or any of those arguments that have been going on in OSAC for maybe a couple of years in some of these document cases. They're they have no familiarity with how this document finally landed the way it did when it does hit them. Is that pretty fair? Yeah, and to my understanding, don't have those levels of uh, a quality assurance group and a human factors group and a right. uh, you know administrative group that provides that feedback like uh, OSAC was set up for. Now, when ASB was initially formed... There was a significant portion of the Friction Ridge subcommittee that were comprised of people that were also current members of the OSAC Friction Ridge subcommittee. There was, I believe, more than half uh, of ASB overlapped. And that's not the case anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been a significant number of people giving up, withdrawing from, from ASB or withdrawing from both OSAC and ASB, saying, I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's not working out like I expected and you know my my contribution I, I don't see the payoff of my contribution right which again everyone's doing this voluntarily oh, absolutely and just one further for ASB all over the phone uh, OSAC has in-person meetings about twice a year a little bit less than twice a year uh, ASB all over the phone yeah and I am not a fan of over the phone conferences for working through documents like that I I think it is a terrible environment for doing that because I don't believe that people are completely invested in the process. I don't know that they're completely prepared and immersed in it. At least when you're working face-to-face, you can see if that person is doing something else, if they're washing the dishes or you know, <laughs> working on a computer, surfing the internet, whatever. You can see exactly what they're doing and if they're engaged or not. I'm not a fan of the I mean, even OSAC does quite a few over the, the you know over yeah. the phone, and people sometimes forget the you know unmute things, and you can hear lots of typing in the background. Even though even OSAC has this mechanism, and I don't think that over the phone conferences are a great way to have a very focused discussion on critical documents. Yeah, you know, it, it especially with a smaller group, um, you you can get some stuff done in prep of the in person meeting. And it's also useful in just kind of more general, hey, what's going on overall? But uh, yeah, the the in-person meetings that OSAC funds is just invaluable for creating yes. these documents and, yes. and bringing together uh, all the ideas from everybody in that group, which is a really you know diverse group representing yeah. just every side of, uh, of the Friction Ridge world. Hey, now l- let me ask this question. I, and I realize that, this wasn't possible then, but I just have to ask this. Is it possible to effectively disband OSAC and put them all on ASB? I mean, could you take OSAC from NIST and put it with the proper funding through ASB? So that you don't, you know, you could have the same process, but now it would be within ASB. 
I've realized that NIST couldn't do what they do. They couldn't guide in this way. But I don't see why they couldn't be members I, I of think ASB. It, maybe the other way around might work better because in those initial discussions, and again, th- things may have changed or, or you know not been clear at the time. But I do remember at the time when when NOSAC was first starting up there was some discussion of whether or not OSAC would operate as a standards developing organization doing that adjudication, even though it was under NIST. So uh, I'm not sure if that got completely nixed, and that's why, you know, there's now ASB. I think the other part of it is since ASB just got this grant funding to be the SDO, then OSAC was like, all right, well, let's just, there we go. That's kind of the solution. The, the easiest way forward uh, at the time, you know, how that at was At the viewed. time, yeah. Uh, because it, it does seem to me to be redundant. And Absolutely. it seems that either way, there has to be a way. I, I, I realize that there, there are obstacles and laws and regulations in place that prevent certain things, but I still have to believe there has to be a way to do this. Whether or not you take OSAC and, and make it an SDO or you take OSAC away from NIST and make it an SDO, but NIST still helps with the formulation of these things. Right. I don't know how, but there has to be a better way because of what we're going to get to in a moment, this is not working out well for Friction Ridge. <laughs> no, it's not. So, so moving the story, the story forward, uh, the next step. You know, like I said, OSAC has their first in-person meetings January 2015. Uh, a few more meetings occur. And it, it is a relatively slow start for the Friction Ridge subcommittee. Um, but they finally get documents um, ready to move out uh, in, I believe it's 2018, for the first one, which was the articulation document, which was basically the same draft that Swigfast wrote um, way back when. It was like one of the last documents it wrote. Um, made some fairly minor changes uh, and then moved that forward uh, you know, and sent it over to the ASB. And then in, I believe, August of 2018 is when uh, OSAC sends over the conclusions document with the uh, the five conclusions scale. Now, right. a little history there. There was a, a push initially to try to get that conclusion document to encompass all of the comparison sciences. So friction ridge, uh, footwear, firearms... Um, question documents and bloodstain. So the first big hurdle was bloodstain because it's not like quite like the others. Um, all the others, there's a uh, a questioned and a known a QK kind of setup, and bloodstain isn't isn't like isn't like that. Um, when you you know, determine like you know, high velocity, you're not comparing. A question high velocity to like a known specific known high velocity pattern it's like yeah. this high velocity versus all the other high velocities you've ever seen so it You're, it's called classification you're attempting right. to classify something as opposed to source identification source level propositions activity level propositions so that was that was one of the first major hiccups but you know there was still this push to try to get at least the four that matched up to be on the same page to have the same wording so that uh you know moving forward with the rest of their documents we could all be using the same language for conclusions um so 
that's kind of when I had to step back from OSAC for a bit. Um, yeah, I was involved in that push initially. Uh, my understanding is that that didn't work out. And so everyone just kind of did their their own conclusion document moving forward. Again, there still are a lot of similarities now, um, you know, more so than before. But that's that's one of the reasons why other things got held up is it's like, well, we the rest of the like examination standard kind of hinges a little bit about what conclusions we can reach uh so sure that's you know some of the the story behind that but eventually that gets sent over uh osac's also put out uh this the training standard as well now but those first two uh, what we'll focus on articulation and the conclusions standards uh in 2018 well when you're listening to this it's 2020 and we are on page one with the ASB in, in moving these documents forward. The, the, uh, the meeting again, I wasn't there, but it was a public meeting. Um, so, you know, it's free to, to talk to people who were there. Um, the OSAC meetings are private meetings where there are rules about, you know, what you can discuss so that everyone in those meetings feels free to you know, express their opinions for the ASB meetings, those are designed to be public, to take in public comment. So there's those the restrictions aren't uh, aren't there. Mm-hmm. So the conclusions document you know came up for for the discussion and a vote, and there seemed to be two main two sides kind of pulling in different directions from how the uh, OSEC uh, friction ridge subcommittee wrote that document. There's a group uh, with ASB that wants to uh, stay with the traditional three conclusion scale, uh, identification and conclusive exclusion. And there's another uh, component uh, on ASB with the people there wanting to uh, eliminate the word identification and you know, revisit that topic. Now, that was a hotly debated topic within the OSAC uh, Friction Ridge Subcommittee and at all levels through there. And uh, what I think came out was a really great compromise with the the, the OSAC document that, um, you know, the draft that's now available and published. But in that whole discussion a couple weeks ago, it basically got sent back. There was a, a straw vote on whether to have three or five conclusions, uh, no clear majority, and got sent back to committee for another review slash possible rewrite. Um, hey, uh, and, and quickly, how how many people are we talking about on ASB that are looking at this document? I believe there's about 20 people on um, okay. ASB. I'd, I'd have to double check on the website to verify that. But my understanding is that not all of them were present on that phone call. <laughs> um, yep, that's where I'm going next. And also and- that there's other people that aren't members that can call in, listen in, and uh, speak as well. Uh Uh-huh. Great. Okay. And then within that, when you said that you had about, you know, some of the people going for three conclusions, some doing, what would you, is there just one or two people or is it clearly a group of people? We're talking about half, half of them want this, half of them want that. Can you be a little more descriptive since it is a public meeting? Sure. I, 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 um, I don't have a good feel on numbers, and I think that's partially because the, the things I, I heard from that meeting is that there's a minority that is vocal and ah. that 
and and the vocal minority dominates the conversation. So it's yeah. hard to know besides the most vocal there what the voting members or even everyone on the phone call thinks overall. I see. Okay, that answers that. So that week, man, I live it. I think, like I said earlier, great adjective to describe how I felt after that. I knew that there were going to be some dinosaurs holding on to the past that didn't want to to move forward with this five conclusion scale. I think it is a fantastic uh, description of what we do. There are dozens of agencies that are already using the that new uh, support for same source conclusion that need a standard to support them. And this was you know moving in that direction. Like we've discussed before, initially support for different source was kind of this bastard stepchild we didn't know what to do with. But I, I think we've kind of zeroed in on a fantastic use for that conclusion. And that is... You and I discussed that, right? Yes, yes you and I have discussed that. Um, and it, again, this was not part of when it was designed as a standard, what to use that for. It was just really right. thrown in to be the just opposite of support for same source. Right. But I think just in logically discussing it, you know, using it for exclusions where you don't have the core delta makes a whole lot of sense and satisfies different sides of that exclusion argument. So I, again, I knew there would be that contingent. I, I'm very disappointed in the re-debate of whether or not to keep the term identification. I, right. I think it is a re- I mean, just being honest here, I think it is a ridiculous argument to get rid of it uh, with no with no merit. That those arguing to get rid of it are are merely replacing that word with the word association, and have no other differences in what they're arguing for, with the exception of that single word. And I, I see no benefit for that simple single word change. What I what I had hoped for from the beginning was that there would be a majority in the middle that saw the compromise that the OSAC document had reached, and that that middle that supported that uh, that great document, and special and those that um, you know still wanted there to kill identification to also come and support that central group, uh, that center group in moving the thing forward. Uh, and outvoting the uh, the old schoolers, and to to see this not just stuck in committee, but sent back to step one with ASB, right, right. made me so angry. <laughs> um, I, I I I I you know started questioning a lot of uh, of things about OSAC and ASB. Yeah, and I think that's that's part of the genesis of wanting to do this episode is so that we can explain, again, I understand your emotional commitment here and investment. Uh, it, it, it is frustrating because what I'm hearing from you saying, and this is what I, I, I just – I can't wrap my head around. You have – I'm probably lowballing here, but the document passed through the eyeballs of what, 50 different OSAC members? Oh, at least, yeah. And, okay, uh, maybe maybe more, 60, yeah. 70 different experts in various domains who have signed off on this, who have debated this for a year or two, found various compromises, and then it goes to a group that's not involved in any of that, and one or two dominant voices says, no, nope, not getting through. 
that's the frustration for me is it it just it does it 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 is not a great way to do business it doesn't make sense and i and that's the frustration uh, absolutely and in talking with people that have you know that were at that meeting and that have been involved in the asb process uh for you know a couple of years now the situation with the articulation document is worse <laughs> it appears from from conversations that i've had that uh, that document is viewed by some members of ASB as unsalvageable, and that they they may not have uh, they may not be moving forward with even trying to get that um, moved forward to be a standard. Hmm. Now, Eric, before uh, we got into this, you did a little prep, as I yeah. recall, and I believe you looked at how many documents had been sent to ASB. And we've been talking primarily here about, of course, the Friction Ridge ASB right. because there are different ASBs for the different disciplines. Right. So there's, of the, like I said, the 25 different subcommittees, about uh, 14 of them um, are signed up with ASB as their SDO, their Standards Development uh, Organization. The other 11 um, are mostly with ASTM with a couple you know, miscellaneous. For example, the odontology one is with ADA just because there, there's already that relationship there. Right, right. In in going to the uh, ASB and the uh, OSAC websites, um, the of the fourteen groups sending stuff to ASB, they've now sent ninety five documents in total uh, to that group, and ASB has gone through their internal process and approved twenty five of those, so just over you know a quarter of them. The document came in from uh, OSAC, ASB adjudicated the comments, made whatever changes they made, and published it on ASB's website uh, as a standard. Okay. So that's that's kind of what I expected. I, I thought, okay, I mean... And, and well, how many of those made it to the OSAC register? So then All that's, that's oh, the thing. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> the uh, How many now has been published back on OSAC's registry as an OSAC-approved standard? That would be five. Okay. <laughs> so 20% right. of the ASB approved ones, 80% of the OS, uh, now again, there's, so there's three more currently in process, but besides those three, 80% of the ASB approved documents are either waiting to be judged by OSAC or not accepted by OSAC to put back on the OSAC registry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and so further, the exam- sorry, real, and further yep. of those five, two are in disaster victim identification, one is in dog and sensor identification, and two are in toxicology. So Fantastic. basically if we're talking about like about crime lab disciplines, two. Yeah. Two okay. standards. And 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 so the examples you're giving too also show that ASB could have made certain changes that OSEC goes, no, this is not the standard that we wanted. It's not what we gave you. You changed it. This is not what we asked for. Exactly. And, and okay. again, there's a variety of documents here. So some may have been changed more than others. And there's there's maybe, you know, each one probably has its own story. But looking at overall numbers of the 95 documents sent to ASB from OSAC, two have uh, from a crime lab discipline have made it back onto the OSAC registry. Okay, so now let's compare that to ASTM. Okay, so with ASTM, and again, 
I'm not I'm not going to you know sit here and be like oh ASTM is the way to go because that there's like we talked about earlier there's problems with ASTM as well right but, and uh, particularly the huge one is that you'd be paying for your own standards th- theoretically yes there may be ways around that but that that would be a hurdle to overcome in some fashion uh, there have been 59 documents sent to ASTM over how many disciplines over 11 again this is ASTM for eight of them and a few others that are miscellaneous. So ASTM plus miscellaneous, but mostly ASTM. Okay. Um, 28, so about half of them, have been approved by ASTM and published as standards. Right, so twice as many. And 14 have been accepted back onto OSAC, on the OSAC registry. So again, half of the ones approved by ASTM. Okay. Still an issue, but... Half is way better than twenty percent. Yes. Okay. No. I mean, I, that's that analysis is helpful, which shows there something about the ASTM process or the ASTM people, or some combination of both that is at least getting documents approved and completed and on the OSAC registry. Right. A higher now, percentage. And again, just going through here, uh, breaking down the ones that have made it back onto the registry, still not great for crime lab disciplines because three are in facial ID, two are in fire and explosives, five in materials, trace evidence, two in odontology, mm-hmm. and two in seized drugs. No, um, so not nine, nine or ten or so from crime labs. Again, uh, better than two, but, um, but right. it's still not a... It's still not the the shining light of promise that, oh, this is the obvious way to go to get standards for a crime lab. There are problems. There appear to be problems there as well, just maybe not as bad as those at ASB. Right. So what do we do? You know, um, what is the way forward? I, I think it was a hugely strategic wisdom not have words in the proper order, a wise strategic move. I think that's a better way to phrase it, uh, to place the draft documents that OSAC is producing onto the OSAC website. Mm-hmm. If for nothing else, people can see what's being, what's out there. Right. And not having to wait for what may never come from ASB. Right. And th- that, in fact, it was exactly that that prompted my com- comment at the conference. It's not OSAC's fault. They're working hard. They're producing documents. They're not getting approved. And I, I, I do believe that they are working very hard and they're cooperating with lots of – and compromising. Compromising and cooperating very nicely with lots of different stakeholders to get a good document out. And yet, again, it, it's mind-boggling that people who are not necessarily involved in any of that process – don't understand the arguments and go, well, uh, this is not how I would have done it, so I'm not going to approve it. And now I, I said I said something very particular there. This is not how I would have done this. I'm basing this on something very specific. And Eric, you and I have not discussed this. I'm not even sure if you're aware of this. So if any listener wants a little more detail and insight, you can go to www.clpex.com. There was a posting on there uh, that mentioned the Friction Ridge uh, map, the process map. So I think it's called Fric- uh, I don't know, Friction Ridge Process Map or something yeah, like yeah. that. that that's, right. that's the That's the thread. 
And, uh, you know, we made our own jokes about it. And yeah, it's an unwieldy document and all that. But there was a comment about the about using that and using the conclusions standard. And I happened to make a comment about the conclusion standard to which I said, hey, Eric and I, we did a podcast on this. We discussed it. And in casework, I'm already using the standard. And I shouldn't call it a standard because it's not a standard. It, it's I'm a already draft using standard. it's a draft standard. I'm already using this conclusion scale. I'm using these definitions. I've been using them now. I don't know, close to a year, perhaps. I've testified to them. I've discussed them publicly. I've made them a part of my training class. And I know we're we're going to get to this, but at some point, OSEC really needs to just go. You know what? This is what we're going with. If ASB doesn't want to approve this, tough. We're going with this. Because bottom line, you don't necessarily have to have ASB's approval to start using them. We'll come back to that in a minute, but I'll finish the comment about CLPACs. So if any listeners want to go, you can look at a thread because one of the posters on there comes back and this member, she's a member of the ASB. Uh, she has lots of quote-unquote questions about the o- the OSAC conclusions and what's kind of clear to me because you know I just answered the questions I didn't get snippy I didn't get angry or hostile I just hey I'm just answering these questions some of these questions were unbelievably nonsensical to me because if you understood the document and have read the document and have been a part of the process which I wasn't so I right. <laughs> I was not a part of those things, I, but I did know this document. You would never have asked these questions. These questions either were answered long ago or made no sense or showed that I, it showed that I don't understand what this thing is, so I'm just not going to vote for it. And any listener can go and read that exchange. It's all up there on CLPEX, and it gives great insight into, ah, now I see <laughs> – it to me reading those questions, I sat back in my chair and went, "I am I'm going to spend the next two hours answering these questions, which is a kind of a waste of time." But I want people to be able to see what these answers are. The she made it sound like there aren't any of these, there aren't any answers. I've been asking these questions and no one seems to be able to answer them, which is BS to me because there are answers. I'm sure answers were available. I'm sure they were part of discussions amongst members at ASB, but she seemed unsatisfied with those answers, and some of them made no sense to me. For example, she said, I won't approve this document until we have a methodology document because people won't know how to use this unless she they're told how to use this. No fucking sense. How, uh, did, how, how I, are you? Seriously, if we can't even decide on the five words to use for our conclusions, how are we going to move forward with an entire examination document? And how do you write an examination I, document if you don't even know what the answers are going to – it is I, well, so and, stupid. And, and first of all, that's not your job to tell OSAC to write a methodology document. Your job right. is to sign off on these definitions. Can you agree on what these defini- – they are definitions. One of the other questions was, well, how does it prevent errors? That's not the job of a conclusion to prevent errors. It's, it is mind-boggling that someone in, that has such a strong vote and influence on community members 
doesn't seem to understand these basic things about this process and this document. It's not the task that was given to ASB. It's can you sign off on these definitions, not will people understand how to use them or not. You don't know that. And I can tell you for a fact since I'm using them, I know, I actually do know for a fact that I can understand how to use them, as are the people who work with me who are using them as well. So I know it can be understood because I already am there. So for for her to say, well, we don't know, and so I can't support that until we have a methodology document, that – I'm sorry. That is – that's just um, – that's part of the problem. And again, I, I am I, – I knew that that side would come in. I'm I'm almost more disappointed on the other side uh, that that is redebating the identification uh, question um, because those those were the people we needed to move this forward. Sure. Um, yeah, that, and that must be frustrating too. I wish I could draw them out on CL packs and get, get their comments. Uh, it, it's frustrating because OSAC found the compromise. This was debated years ago. And the idea that my way or the highway and I'm not signing off on it, again, there's no place for that. There has to be some kind of compromise, and OSAC did the compromise already. So ways forward. There's things to consider. Um, Like we said, uh, ASTM is a possibility. It's not perfect, and it doesn't appear to, to solve all the problems of this process of handing a document from one group over to a completely separate one to start over on. Right. But it, uh, it appears it may have more success than ASB. There's a, a possibility that ASB can be fixed somehow. It, there's obviously something not even just in the Friction Ridge group. Right, because so Friction Ridge has sent out six documents overall, uh, two standards, no, yeah, two standards and three best practices, four best practices. Uh, so six isn't a big number, but let's look at DNA. DNA in total has sent out nineteen documents. Three have been approved. Two are waiting for for decisions uh, by OSAC on whether to accept back on the registry. The other. The other one has already had its chance, and OSAC did not take it back on the registry. What else here? Uh, toxicology of the 11. They've only gotten through three of them. Uh, let's see. Firearms has published, sent 10 documents to the ASB. The ASB has approved zero. There's something wrong, like head to tail, full you know, with, with that ASB process. That's just not working overall. It is bigger than just right. the immediate frustrations of certain people um, within the, the Friction Ridge group there. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great point. And coming back to this, it's not just one person in one group. It's, it's this whole process. And I don't know exactly what it is or why the other groups are having issues. Does every group have just a group of people that aren't part of OSAC so they aren't privy to the discussions? I, I don't get it. But it's not working. Right. Another way forward might be to, to to take a look at what it would take to get OSAC to be an SDO. Um, now, there's that doesn't have to be an all-the-way thing right away. Um, one thing that uh, I've asked for clarification on is if, uh, if the Friction Ridge subcommittee can begin receiving comments from uh, the community 
after it's published its uh, its draft. Uh, right now, that was supposed to be something that ASB did is getting those comments and adjudicating those comments, looking right. for those those really those golden suggestions that come from the community to make changes when necessary. But the 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 idea, the hope was that for for the most part, the document would maintain uh, its its uh, its shape, its spirit, its its overall form. But I mean, the public does have great ideas that the people that just happen to be on OSAC, you know, just didn't have, and there's definitely room for improvement. Well, maybe the maybe OSAC can also then start getting those comments earlier. Uh, so it can start putting in those good suggestions, and then maybe that can be the beginning towards moving towards that that SDO right. process. Um, so yeah. it, it can be baby steps in that direction. Well, and then I don't know if you're going to cover the last one here, but the last one is <laughs> it's the ethic approach. <laughs> it's the yep. – uh, and, and this is where I'm hearing from OSAC members who are very frustrated with this, who have compromised – created document that has satisfied a majority of people throughout OSAC and then it comes you know comes back from ASB you know the way it has is to simply put them up on on the on OSAC as this document approved through OSAC but it's just not quote unquote a standard right. which well frankly is what how Swigfast operated for years it is and if you and if you get buy in from from ANAB and other accrediting bodies who go, we will find a way to enforce these. You know, that's, you know. that's that's further down the road. I mean, they they've flat out said they're not going to do that. So the, they would have, there would be a major policy change to move in that direction. But yeah. the I think the the real win here um, overall, again, overall, a lot of this doesn't matter because of like if it's a draft standard or an official standard or. Uh, an ANSI NIST standard or an ASB standard, a lot of that doesn't matter because there's no teeth in making anybody do this. The only way to make a lab do this is for them to choose to put what the standard says in their protocols and then ANAB or whatever accrediting body they have ensures that they follow what they put into their own protocols. So all you really need to do is just de facto get labs to buy in to the standard whatever state it's in if it like you said if it remains a draft standard that's fine if they write if they buy in write it into their policies then that's that's the only way it's going to be enforced anyway so um what what extra benefit is there to going through this process what is osec going to do now like osec looks and says okay just the list of five words you can't approve the document that went through SwigFast and then got you know uh, updated and approved through OSAC, you're just evidently discarding out of hand. What are you going to do if I send you an examination document? Like for the people on OSAC, how disheartening is that? If you're writing that examination document, you know how, how many how many more are we going to send down this line here? Or is it even worth it to even bother writing the thing to send down the line? If it's just going to be tossed out of hand, I, I think something has to be done to, to, to meet some minorities right. standard who is not a part of that process, who has their own, their own version of what the standard should be. 
to keep up the morale of the OSEC members that are putting out this work. Right, right. Okay, uh, so a question for you, Eric. Sure. You said this, and I'm going to actually tie this back to something. You said you know of maybe about a dozen labs that are using some version of the five-point standard, or at least the support for same source. Correct. So you, you said something like that earlier. And, in fact, on the CLPEX thread, one of the things that prompted the whole discussion was one of the, the commenters said, I don't know anyone who's adopted this or plans to adopt this, which is why I jumped in and said, hey, uh, actually, I have. I, I'm using this. I've adopted it, testified to it. That's why I jumped in in the very first place was because the comment was, doesn't know anyone. And I was asked sort of, well, do you know any labs that have adopted it? And my answer was no. I know a couple of labs, and I only know a couple who are looking at it. And they, I don't know that they've gone any farther than looking at it. And one of the questions posed was, well, why haven't they adopted it then? If it's, if it's such a good document, why haven't labs adopted it? And my only answer was, look, I can't speak to them. Maybe they were waiting for ASB to approve it before adopting it. doesn't seem like that's going to happen now. So maybe they do need to just jump ahead and right. adopt it. But do you know of – So let me, what do you know here? Sure. Let me, let me clarify in that – so what I mean by that is that the the concept of support for same source. I don't know of any lab that's using that exact language, but they're using that concept, and they have been for for a number of years ah. now. So, so the, they're using a version of inconclusive, right? Plus. So well, sort of. So they're either using like inconclusive, yes, with similarities, which is the language that. You know that we came up with back in Arizona, uh, yeah. could not exclude is is a popular one, right? From Vegas and I believe King County, and and just in teaching and having discussions with people, I'm not going to be able to name all the labs, but but that just kind okay. of feels to be about the number of labs that are using either uh, inconclusive similarities, could not exclude, or the Swigfast inconclusive lack of sufficiency for identification. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I know dozens of labs that have some version of inconclusive with features in the agreement, but dot, dot, dot. Yes. Leaning towards an ID, but not saying ID, but actually putting that in the notes or report. Right. So you meant the spirit of the this concept. Correct. Not well, that the language. Which I think is is a, is even bigger reason why we need this to move forward, so they have this common language to describe that, uh, right? Because right now everyone's just kind of just doing their own thing with with how they're describing that whole situation, and sure. and I think the the solution provided by that five conclusion scale by that OSAC document uh, goes miles towards uh, standardizing that language. Uh, and and ensuring that all the labs are are you know closer to the same page when they're uh, using uh, that conclusion to express there's some similarities yeah. here it's just not quite enough. All right, Glenn, any final thoughts for us? Well, I mean, I I, I hope it was informational for listeners to understand some of this. It might might have also been really boring if you don't care about any of this. <laughs> uh, so that's fine. Uh, but I think this was cathartic for both of us to 
get some things off of our chest and to be able to discuss this. And and actually, Eric, you know, your insight to the process was enlightening to me too. I learned a couple of things tonight that I didn't know. So I I think it it, it was good to talk about this and – I do stand by that comment that OSAC has been working very hard. It's just they've been running up against a wall that they're not able to get some documents approved. And maybe some listeners go, well, that's because the, these documents aren't correct yet or they're, they're not right. And I understand that that might be a viewpoint. You and I, I've shared my view. You shared your view. And that these are our opinions on this. Yeah. But I think we're, we're both in agreement that Something needs to change here. This is not an efficient process. And you said it so very well. We're losing good people from OSAC because they've had enough. They've worked so hard on these things to just see it trashed within an hour phone call that basically says, no, I don't like this. I don't think it's right. Send it back. It really is unfortunate because there are very qualified, very passionate people about this discipline that don't want to be involved in this process anymore. And uh, who who actually did the work? That that's the frustrating thing is they did the work. It's not like ASB is putting out their own documents counter going you know what i didn't like this here is what you guys should be using or here's what we could be using they're not giving an alternative they're simply saying i don't like this well and and that may that may be the situation that they're in and uh you know people running that group saying okay this that's not what we're here to do is just create our own and so i mean but it is it is part of it but but they could do it Right. In fact, it, clearly they could create – in fact, I know that was said because the person running ASB said that at a meeting yeah. that they have the capability of creating their own standards if they wanted to, except the idea was to take something from OSAC already done yep. and just massage it a little bit. So frankly, if they don't like the OSAC documents, they could create their own, and, and, and they've not done that. So I, I, I just – I want – I am – uh, I want our field to be improved and I want our field to have what so many others have, which is, uh, you know, a, an accepted standard for, um, for, for how labs should operate. And I think it's sorely needed. Uh, now, again, like I said before, whether or not that gets enforced, that's a question that still needs to be resolved. But, um, I mean, if it doesn't even exist yet, then it's a moot point. So we have to do this first step of creating it before we tackle that uh, that monster. But um, to see to be so close uh, and and then hit this wall uh, and to have you know all my my initial fears you know realized uh, from from when this whole process was first described uh, it is is so frustrating. So I, I hope that. For the people out there that are on these boards, if you're with OSAC, I hope that you stick with it, that uh, you see the, the the good work that's coming out, um, that uh, that you're able to stick with it. Even like, and I mean, I know I'm speaking from a pers- as a person who couldn't and had to step back for a while before you know trying to uh, to participate as an affiliate member now. But um, for the people on ASB. Please, for the love of God, come to the middle. See if there's, a, you know, some slight changes that that need to be made because uh, 
you know, someone on the group or a uh, someone in the public has a good suggestion that would really improve things. But otherwise, these have been argued out. These have been debated. This is the compromise that, you know, unless, again, you can find a better compromise to get everyone on board in the middle, uh, this is it. I, I mean, this is the compromise that needs to move forward. And if you're on the extremes, if you're arguing for a three conclusion scale, or if you're arguing for uh, killing the word identification, get off it, come to the middle, and let's move forward. Uh, because it's not going to be the extreme that you want. It's just not. All right. So, well, well, with that, let's wrap things up. <laughs> okay, so, uh, and if you want to, to chime in, uh, please write to us, uh, Eric at rayforensics.com, Glenn at eliteforensicservices.com, and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll read your comment on the air as well if, uh, to get to other opinions out there uh, if you want to do that. Or we'll unilaterally reject it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it depends, and then you'll know what it feels like. It also, well, that's also true, but but uh, <laughs> if, as long as it's written, you know, respectfully, even if it disagrees with us fully, I think we'll move forward with it and express that to uh, to, to our listeners. We're obviously not going to move forward with anything that was that's written disrespectfully. <laughs> I, I'm ex- I'm expecting an ASB comment. But I, I, I so want this to work and to move forward. So, so right. if you're in a position where you can make that happen, please make that happen. Make this move forward and make this successful. I, I just, I just think it's a flawed process. I don't, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we'll get there. Yeah. I, I just. I, 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 I no. And the evidence is is clear. The evidence is out there clear that you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, go to Ron Smith. And associates.com, if you're interested in any classes, uh, you'll find them up on the website. We've got several coming up this spring in different places around the, uh, the United States as well as in Canada. And something new that I'm doing this year, if you're interested in some personal training, I'm actually looking at uh, doing small classes for small groups of examiners, for single agency groups, four, five, six, seven examiners, Daubert training, and other kinds of specialized training, masterclass type stuff. Reach out to Glenn at EliteForensicServices.com. That's Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, two N's, at EliteForensicServices.com. Double the Double It Podcast store at doubleitpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Double It Pod, and Instagram as well. And uh, the opinions expressed, mo- you know, most especially on this show, are those of the speaker and not anyone else that they uh, work for or represent. Um, and I think we should get out of here. So talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye.